Bibles to Mark chapter 7. What we're going to be doing in the next three weeks, this is a big sandwich. Have you ever seen restaurants that offer those competitions that if you could sit down and eat, you get a t-shirt? Well, I'm going to do all three today. You can leave after the first, but anybody that stays gets a t-shirt. I missed you, Kobe. I did. Just kidding. So it's a big sandwich. We're going <laughs> to We're going to look at the bun today. We're going to look at the meat next week and then we're going to get the other bun the 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 week after. And the the heart of what Mark is trying to express to us is is the the message of the three week series is dirty and the first part is clean hands and filthy heart. Let's look at Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. So at this point, we know in the story that they are seeking to kill Jesus. They want him dead. They don't like him. They've rejected him. And now there's a delegation coming from Jerusalem to kind of keep tabs on what he's doing and find fault in any way that they can. How easy is it to find fault in somebody if you're looking for it? Man, it's so easy for me. <laughs> it's so easy to look and see fault in people rather than looking and seeing good. In fact, we have to stop ourselves from saying, this is the things that are bad, these are the things that I don't like, these are the things that are dirty, and look and see the things that are good. Because the reality is nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to do things perfectly all the time. Unless you hang out with me a lot, you'll see what it looks like to be holy. In fact, if you hang out with me more than you already do, you'll find out soon that you don't care to. (laughs) Like this guy, man, he's just like me. Uh Uh-huh. I'm dirty. I need Jesus every day. I need to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, have my heart, have my mind, have my intentions. Because if we don't do that regularly, we so quickly go to the side of the flesh. And the flesh is dirty. This is what happened to the Pharisees. Over time, they allowed the flesh and the things of the flesh to be their motivation and to become their identity. So they're coming from Jerusalem to Jesus to find fault in him. And then in verse 2 it says, Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found guilt. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. The Pharisees were known for being clean freaks. They were clean freaks. In fact, if we, there's there's two uh, manuscripts that they would hold to in that day. One was the Torah, which we would know as the Old Testament. The other was the Mishnah. The Mishnah was the traditional law. It was not God's law. 
What it was is it was a it was a, a fence, so to speak, that was set up around the law that God gave that just in case anybody accidentally transgressed one of their traditions or laws, at least it wasn't one of God's laws, so it was okay. But the problem was is that they were prohibiting people from a right relationship with God because God gave the people certain requirements and then man gave people requirements. And whenever man gives people requirements, it's not what God expects from people. Does that make sense? Have you guys ever been driving down the road before and you come across a speed limit sign that some teenage boy has decided to spray paint over the top of a new speed limit? You guys ever seen that before? You know, maybe... If, if you live in a neighborhood where people are driving too fast, you, you could go and you could do the opposite. Instead of, you know, the 15-year-old kid putting 85 instead of 35, you could put, you could try to change something to, to make it like 15 or 20. And the justification is, well, you know, it's, it's, it's okay because I'm even helping them further not to break the law. That was the idea. But the problem, as we see, Became, it was because it became a tradition of man instead of what God really wanted for the people. And therefore, it, it stopped or prohibited the people from having the right kind of relationship with him that God wanted to have. That's why these people weren't in a position for Jesus to come to and ask them to be his disciples. Because to their standard, this is crazy, Stop and think about this for a second. For the Pharisees and the scribes of that day, their standard was higher than Jesus' standard. Their standard was greater than God's standard. In the book of Revelation, a couple of the churches are rebuked because they're giving themselves over to the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The word Nicolaitan is connected to to those who rule over. The priesthood wasn't supposed to be a class that ruled over the people back then. It was to be a class that, that facilitated worship and relationship with God. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus writes the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, how quickly did the New Testament church start doing the same thing? start giving themselves over to commandments and traditions of men that prohibited people from having a right relationship with God. I was just talking to a brother this week, we, and we, we brought up and we're discussing different, different cults or religions of the world. And again, we brought up the, the idea or concept that every other religion in the world, doesn't matter what it is, you, you pick which one you want. Every other religious system in the world is always based on works. Always. I don't want to really bring up specifics this morning, but, you know, even if they have Jesus attached to their name or Jesus attached to their church, if they have a system of works put in place within their church that you have to abide by to be in that church, then it's a system of works. The Bible says that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. And that what comes from your life is supposed to be fruit of the Spirit, 
not labor of the flesh. Do you know what the flesh produces? Death. The flesh produces death, but the Spirit produces life. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. 25% of the Mishnah, the the spoken oral tradition, 25% had to do with purity and cleanliness. They were big on it. They were big on their extra laws. But if they were holding to the Torah and what qualified them to be worshipers according to the Torah or the Old Testament, they wouldn't have to wash their hands. This is just something that man institutionalized. So Jesus wasn't required. His disciples weren't required. It was a requirement or a burden placed on them by the religious elite. And they were the ones that found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. You even had to wash your hands in a special way. You guys have heard my stories about growing up. My mom had me wash my hands in a special way. She was terrified that we would bring home germs. You guys, you guys remember this? Every day I got home from school, I'd have to go to the sink immediately. First thing, walk in the door, no kisses, no touching. Go to the sink, take a cap full of liquid Clorox bleach, pour it on my hand, and wash my hands and sing the happy birthday song two times to make sure all the germs were dead, and then I could wash my hands. She was very serious about cleanliness and germs. She was also very clean in the house. It's crazy. These guys were the same way, except they didn't have Clorox. I don't know, you know. But they had to start the water at their wrist and cup their hands a certain way, even have a certain amount of water and let the water fall over their hands, down their fingers and drip off their fingertips. It wasn't just uh, go wash your hands for dinner. In fact, this that they required wasn't even for hygiene. It was ceremonial. It was supposed to be spiritual. It was supposed to be a cleansing of their conscience, a cleansing of their person, not just hygienically, a cleansing of their body. Is that insane? You're not even washing your hands for the right reasons? They had clean hands, holding the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they received and hold like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. It's known historically at this time that some of these very serious Jews or Pharisees, they wouldn't even just wash their hands once before a meal. If it was an extended meal or a longer meal, they would stop and do this ceremonial hand-washing procedure between each course. Again, is it for hygiene? No, because you're already stuffing your face. There was this outward sign of holiness, but inwardly there was something wicked that wasn't being addressed. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And Jesus is like, Oh, no, you didn't. You guys ready for this? 
He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their mouths, with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And do you know how applicable Jesus' words to us still are today? Do you know how often man wants to take something that God intended to be precious and holy and wholesome, a relationship with him through Jesus, and that's it, and they taint it by saying that you can't have drums in worship, that you have to dress a certain way when you come to church, that you have have to have a certain kind of haircut, which I'm disappointed. None of you guys have the same kind of haircut as me. I thought you'd catch a hint. It's nice, isn't it? Summer's coming up. I'm going to stay cool, roll the window down. We don't want to focus on traditions of men here. We don't want to look at what we would expect from people that God doesn't expect from them. I don't ever want to teach God's word in a way that changes it slightly to fit into the culture that we live in. No matter how comfortable or how much easier it is. That's why we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the whole counsel of God. Lord, what do you think about this stuff? How can we be like you? There's a checklist in the back on your way out if you'd like it. There's not. You know why? Because the Lord wants to address things in your life that he doesn't have to address in mine. The Lord wants to address things in my life that he doesn't have to address in yours. The Lord has a lot of things to address in my life that he doesn't have to address in yours. It's because he gives us his spirit. He says, trust me, I'm going to take care of you. But along the process, there's also this thing known as sanctification. You are sanctified positionally as soon as you receive Jesus as your Savior, which means you are set apart and in one act. And then you are also being sanctified. There's a process that God wants you to go through. And some people want to push back on that. Lord, I like the positional sanctification. Now leave me alone. I don't want to address the filthy issues of my heart. I want to do whatever I want, but I'm saved, right? Once saved, always saved. Let's talk about that. No. God wants to talk about where we're at today. And don't get me wrong, okay? We're not focusing so much on ourselves today. That's the third study. As much as we're focusing on institutionalized religion, But I think we, as the church, need to be able to distinguish or be able to tell when there's an undue emphasis placed on people's lives as an expectation for them to do certain things that God never put there for them. He never intended them to be there. And Jesus' response to them, he says, you guys want to talk about dirty? Let's talk about dirty. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you 700 years before this moment? Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Where's our hearts? Where's the heart of this world? Where are people going when they say things, but they're not willing to follow through in action? And in vain they worship me. Could you, can you believe that with the things that they had set up for themselves, they thought they were so holy, they thought they were so great, but what they were actually doing is they were worshiping in vain. Vanity, vain worship. Do you know what that means? It was worthless. God, please search my heart. I don't want to think I'm in a place that I'm not. Look at what Jesus says. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Don't we love that word? Hypocrites. You know what that means? It means to act like an actor. Do you know another word that we can use that I like? Better than actor, even though it's a good word, it's like a poser. You guys know what a poser is? It was me in ninth grade. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Don't laugh. I had the high, white, white high-top Reeboks, the saggy shorts. I let my boxers hang out a little bit on the top. And, my, and I had my, my Toronto Maple Leafs jersey on, you know? And I had my, my side shaved and my, my hair slicked straight back. And I listened to people like Easy e and Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, you know? That's not who I was, though. You guys probably don't even know who that is. Good. Don't look it up. Marky Mark. I'm talking about the Bible, bro, okay? Let's get back on track. They were hypocrites. What you saw on the outside wasn't actually what was on the inside. They were putting on a show. And as much as the outward appearance, you can manipulate how you look to have people think a certain thing about you, the real gem, the real treasure is what's inside. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Where's your treasure? It's not what you look like on the outside. It's not what you say you believe. It's not how you act in front of other people, other certain people. That's why we, we, we strive or, or we seek to be the same person in public that we are in private because there has to be that consistency for us. I think people misuse this idea of hypocrisy. I think it's closely more connected to posers. It's not who they really are. It's who they want to be. And notice that the, the posers, the Pharisees and the scribes, they, in their presentation of God, were more concerned about how people responded to them than how people responded to God. You guys understand that? They were more concerned with how Jesus and his disciples responded to them than whether they were doing the right thing to God or not. And we have to be careful of that. When I talk to people, when I counsel people, I want to love them with the same love that Jesus loves them. And I don't want to put what they're going through through the Tim filter, you know? Because I have opinions, and they're good opinions. They're great opinions. And if people would just listen to what I had to say, 
I have to stop the Tim filter. We're not talking about what Tim thinks you should do. We're talking about a a foundation. We're talking about what God instructs us to do. And when we respond in that way, then we see change in our lives. Then we see fruit in our lives. Then we see happiness, goodness, love, self-control. We see fruits of the Spirit come. They worship in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. I think that we should be really careful. This is all wrapped together, right? I think we should be very careful how, how serious we are about traditions, being traditionalists. I think to some degree it's nice, you know, you have every Christmas you have certain traditions or every Thanksgiving, this is a tradition we do every year, you know, and it's fun because it's expected and you don't have to plan ahead because we're doing too much junk anyway. There's already something set. This is what we do. But I think we need to be careful because uh, we start to get attached to those things and they start to become the meaning of certain holidays for us. I don't know if that's true for you guys, but I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my family's life. And people get bent out of shape because we're not doing the same things that we do, you know, that we've done every year. So what? I hope that we never get to a place as a church where we have certain uh, things that we do that we have to do every year because it's traditional. And look at Paradise Calvary Chapel down the road, 20 or 30 years, you know, or 50 years. It's the biggest church in Vegas, and they love Jesus more than anybody else. That's in five years. Or in 50 years where it becomes, this is how we've always done it. Who cares about how we've always done it? Let's get rid of some stuff. Let's reevaluate. Let's check the inventory. Let's make sure that we're not putting undue restrictions or restraints on people that God never intended for them to have. He never intended. All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, That is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things do. Don't you love that Jesus, he he combats them with scripture, but he references something that we know very well. One of the, one of the, the foundational commandments of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And here's what he's saying. They had this idea of Corbin, and and what they could do is they could dedicate something to God. But if it was dedicated to God, then whatever whatever benefit it would have been to anybody else uh, was null and void. So if, if a son was successful and he had things that could help his parents in their elderly years, but he didn't want to help them because of bitterness before, he can dedicate it to God to spite his parents. In fact, historically, uh, the, the, 
historians and, and Bible scholars say that this is the primary purpose of the, or the reason that people use this, this gift or this Corbin giving. They used it so that other people couldn't partake or benefit from something. That was the reason. It wasn't something that you're just dedicating to God, to him, for him. You were dedicating it to him so that other people couldn't benefit from it. And there's also people who said you could dedicate things to God for a certain amount of time. And then when you're ready, you can take it back. You guys ever seen anything like that in the Bible before? No. Oh, look, here's little, here's little Julia. We're going to dedicate her to the Lord. But when she's 15, she better listen to what I say or else I'm going to send her to school somewhere else. Listen, we dedicate something to the Lord, we give it to him, you got to let it go. You got to let the Lord do what he wants with it. So by them setting up this, this traditional law from the Mishnah, they prohibited people from actually obeying and doing the original law that was meant to be done so that the people could have a right relationship with God. So what were they doing? They were actually prohibiting people from having the relationship with God that he wanted to have with them, and they were regulating themselves what the people had to do so that they could be in control. And if you look at these big religious institutions, again, not necessary to say any names like Jehovah's Witnesses or anything like that, it's based on a system of works The people at the top have control, and if you don't do what they say, then you're not one of 144,000. It's going to be a small heaven. Does that make sense to you guys? It's not the things that we do. We're not restricted by our works to have relationship to God. And, And Jesus is rebuking them. In fact, this is the longest section in Mark that Jesus is contending it's, it's contention. He's really trying to make a point, and Mark is recording it so that the point is made. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Verse 14, when he had called all, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus now is publicly correcting the false theology of the Pharisees and scribes. He's saying, listen, everybody, anything that enters a man from outside, which can def- there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. And this is a precedent that's being set. Because up until this time, according to the Old Testament law, there were things that could defile a man. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. And in the future, we're going to see that this is the starting point of Jesus declaring all foods okay to eat. Thank you, Jesus. He's saying that you can have lobster rolls whenever you want. A nice, fat, thick slice of bacon. Can I get a witness? Those aren't the things that defile us in our relationship with God. 
It's the actual conditions of our heart. He says, anybody who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asking him concerning the parables. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles him for from within Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Talk about clarity, right? (laughs) What exactly are you talking about, Jesus? He's like, I'm not talking about going to the bathroom, guys. I'm talking about there's things that come from in your heart that is expressed through you that show you to be unclean, that show your heart to be dirty. Yeah, you can have clean hands. You can look good. You can be a a great poser. But if the issue of the heart's not addressed, then the things of the heart are going to come out. And we see here the first six, there's 12 things that he lists. The first things he, uh, he lists are speaking of evil acts. They're all in the plural. Evil acts, evil things that you can do. And the last thing, the last six, are all in the singular tense. And it is uh, because they're, they're attitudes. So in one way, there's things that you do that cause you to be defiled, to show where your heart is. And there's another six, the last six, that it doesn't actually have to be something that you physically do. It can just be an attitude that you have or you hold on to because you want to. But the attitude that you have actually identifies that you have an unclean heart. That's crazy. I don't like that. Can we just have a list? Isn't it easier? Don't do this, do this, or whatever, you know. Oh, I messed up. Jesus is talking about the whole enchilada. He's talking about the real condition of their hearts. And he's not just talking about the, the Pharisees and the scribes. He's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. He's talking about to those people who were gathered around him. He's talking to his own disciples. Because it's true for everybody, we have to ask ourselves, From within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. Any of you guys think evil things? You don't have to. I'll raise my hand. I don't like to. That's why the New Testament instructs us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? You have a bad thought, and as a Christian, the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to take that thought captive. That word captive is also directly connected in the Greek to arrested. You take that thought, you put its arms behind its back, you put some cuffs on it, and you kick it out the door. You take that thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. What was the obedience of Jesus Christ? 
obedience to the Father. I know that this is wrong. I know that it's something I shouldn't be doing. I know that it's something that I shouldn't be thinking. Adulteries. You guys realize that as much as we're trying, as as hard as we're trying right now, and there are people who are putting their whole lives into the effort, that as much as they're trying and there's more awareness than ever before, human trafficking is still on the rise. Could you imagine that? It's because it's coming from the wicked hearts of men, literally. The wicked hearts of men, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, and then the other six, deceit. That's an attitude, right? When you're talking to somebody, and you know you can tell them one thing, but if you phrase it a little differently, you know, (laughs) they might not get the full ramifications of it. Lewdness, an evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. You know what Jesus is really doing? He's taking these 12 things, these acts and attitudes, and he's connecting them to what they saw in in the Pharisees and scribes. In fact, he proclaims it. He says, listen, this is the truth. This is what we have to talk about today. You know, Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's not enough to recognize that your heart's not in the right place. It's, it's even more important to recognize it and to cry out to God. God, renew a new heart in me. Create a clean heart in me, O God. In Jesus, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. You know those people who are just, just sweet, innocent. You know, they wouldn't hurt a fly. Now, it's not in their sweetness that they're going to see God. <laughs> it's through Jesus, but it's in their sweetness and submission to God that puts them in a place where they can see Where are we at? Where are you at today? Where am I at? Where's the condition of my heart? And what we're going to look at more in the third study in a couple weeks from now, just like we addressed a couple weeks ago, the disciples had seen these things that Jesus had done in their life, but because they were exhausted and because they were tired, their hearts were kind of getting hard towards him. They weren't really having the communion that God wanted them to have, that Jesus wanted them to have, because there were things prohibiting that. And I think that this is a good exercise to do on a regular. Lord, where's my heart at? What do I want? What are the evil acts? Well, there's none. Good job. There's no evil acts. What are the evil attitudes? Oh, What are the evil thoughts? Oh. God, change us. Teach us. 
so that we truly can be the salt and the light of the earth, so that we're not like everybody else, so that we can respond, so that we can hear you and do the things we're supposed to do, not because we have to, but because we love you. In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, we thank you that that you understand us, that you understand us completely and you can explain to us this is the way that it is. We don't want to be like the carnal people that we can be. We want to be the people who are submitted to you, Lord. We want to ask ourselves honestly, God, what are the things in my heart that need to be addressed? What am I how am I being a poser, acting like things are okay when the reality is that you want to address them? The difference, Lord, between us and the Pharisees is that we've not hardened our hearts to you. We don't want to. God, we want to hear your voice. We don't want to set up any traditions. We don't want to put in place any customs that take precedence over who you want to be in our lives, prohibiting us from knowing you the way that you want us to know you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for teaching us. We pray that you'd bless your word in our hearts. It would produce fruit this week. That you'd give us opportunity to love, Lord, and to be your witnesses. In Jesus' name. Thank you.